Welcome to the Amplifier Podcast, the show where the best in business discuss how you can grow your business best. I'm Wyatt McPherson, I produce this show, and this episode, Don Cooper is joined once again by the ambassador of hope himself, Andre Norman. On his third episode of his three-episode series with us, Don and Andre will be discussing what he believes are the best approaches to racism and what everyone out there can do to help. Once again, I truly do mean it when I say that Andre's story and his mission are some of the most inspiring out there, so if you haven't already, definitely go back and listen to our previous two episodes with Andre, and as always, I truly do hope that you enjoy this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. You know, a big part of what we've been talking about, you know, right from the street corner to the prison system was drugs, and um, you're really heavily involved with addiction recovery, and our friend Joe Polish would with genius recovery. Give me your perspective on, on, on that whole issue. In America, the issue with drug use and drug abuse is a racial one still. In the mm-hmm. 70s, black people used heroin and they were in the streets dying and they were selling drugs. Nicky Bonds, Frank Lucas, and all these other big kingpins all sent to jail for hundreds of years for selling, selling drugs. The people who used them given 10, 20, 30, 40 year sentences for using them. And it's been that. Someplace in the 2000s, somehow white kids in the suburbs got a hold of heroin, which they changed the name of, from heroin to opioids. So you can't use the same drug that black kids use. We're going to call your drug something different. So white kids started using opioids, and lo and behold, they started dying. Now, all of a sudden, it went from a crime crisis to a health crisis. There was a time, if I walked into a police station with a bag of heroin, I'd get beaten the head and given 10 years. They encouraged white kids they run into the police station. I got heroin. I want to change my life. They're, they're trained, take the drugs, throw them away, take the kid to a treatment center. Those are in suburban communities running, governed by people with money. In the inner cities, you can't walk into no police station with a bag of heroin talking about, I want to turn myself in. I need help. They, they're sending you to jail as your help. In the suburbs, it's a treatment center. We used to sell weed. I was my first hustle was selling weed on the corner. And lots of people in black, black communities sold marijuana and got arrested and sent to jail for tens of hundreds of years. And all of a sudden, it's now legal to sell mm-hmm. marijuana. So on the same corner that I stood, there's a white businessman with a, a refinery, a outpost, whatever you want to call it, a dispensary, selling to yep. my old customers. Yep. You got the white guy selling to my old customers legally. But I'm still in jail doing 30 years for selling to them. You go home and just pay taxes on it. Nobody's ever said, well, damn, we made it legal. We took their corners, took their clients. Let's let the guys who had weed charges out of jail. No, let's leave them in prison anyways. You know why? Ah, we don't really like them that much. So you change the law, but you don't say, okay, well, let's, let's fix it. There was a time we had prohibition. We're selling alcohols illegal. When they changed the law, I don't know if they let the people out who had prohibition charges, I believe if you're in jail right now for marijuana with no additional charges, all marijuana charges should be dismissed. If you had a gun charge, a robbery charge, keep that. The marijuana sentences should be dismissed based on the fact that you're now selling on the same corner we did. So it's, you have to have the conversation of fairness around the way it looked, the crack laws of the 90s. If, Black folks disproportionately sell crack. White folks disproportionately sell powder. It's the same substance in a different form. Crack cocaine, mandatory 10 years. A 
kilo powder, you can get probation. They created laws targeting black people versus targeting white people. Now they're saying, okay, let's make this fair. Let's go back and make it fair for real. But nobody wants to have a discussion of, from a criminal justice standpoint, making it fair. I believe everybody needs treatment, have access to treatment, have access to help, white, black, Spanish, Asian. And though there's a lot of kids suffering. And in the suburbs, there's very little information on what you need to do to save your kid. There's very little drop-in and treatment centers set up to help save your kid. So we in the inner cities who've been dealing with this from day one, because drugs have been dropped in our neighborhoods for whatever reason, um, we can come out and help you. I've helped a lot of white families through this problem because they just didn't have the expertise in dealing with drug addiction, drug usage, drug person, I mean, the personality and the behaviors. So we're coming out from the inner cities, helping the suburbs, because we want to keep their kids alive. All kids deserve to live regardless what color they are. But at the same time, let's get back to the okay. Why are there, we don't, in the inner cities, we don't grow weed, we don't manufacture crack, we don't manufacture heroin, we don't do nothing. We don't manufacture guns, but it's flooding our neighborhoods. Right. How is this possible? Why for 50, 60, 70 years, every black community has been overrun with drugs? And nobody, nobody asks how it got there. We've had a scenario out in California where two guys were put on trial with the Oliver North case for bringing crack into the neighborhoods. There was allegedly, or whatever proven, and I don't know how far they were with the Oliver North case, came through the CIA. <laughs> it was funded, the CIA, to help this guy, Iran Contra, whatever the scenario was, that we're going to help you get guns, you sell drugs to the black guys in California, we're just going to turn the blinds out. So our system is messed up. White people and suburban people have a problem with denial. They're denying their kids are at risk and a subject too. And that is 95% of the problem. White folks in the suburbs or suburban folks have to get past this denial thing that my kid wouldn't do that or that my kid would never do that. He has every opportunity and advantage on the planet. No, your kid is a kid and he's subject to and he sees all the time and she sees this, this environment and environment will change the person before the person changes the environment. So denial is a huge issue in the suburban community. And then actually what to do in a crisis is a problem in the suburban communities because nobody's ever taught soccer mom how to deal with daughter or son smoking weed or sniffing coke. How do you deal with that? I mean, what's the, what are the steps to deal with you know kids doing that, and what are the steps with dealing with addiction? Like I, I know you you know you know a lot more about this than me. Step one: education to the parents. We can educate the kids, but if the parents are ignorant, it's going to fall right back on the kid again. We need to educate the adults. Step one, and the adults include school teachers, the adults include the police, the adults include the courts, the adults, I mean, it, it, and educate the adults, step one. But what happens is nobody wants to talk about drug addiction in the suburbs, it's a big secret because you're all well to do on your way to become senators or whatever you're gonna be, that nobody wants to know that little Johnny's getting hot, a little Sarah's getting hot. We can't talk about that so because it's gonna make our family look bad. I work with a lot of families and their number one thing is embarrassment. How can we do this when nobody knows? I had mm -hmm. one family say to me, the son wanted to talk about his addiction and the mother said, no, he can't talk about the addiction. I said, why? We're a prominent family, it'll make us look bad. But you're telling him don't talk about his, his therapy and his, 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 his recovery. 
So he can't come home and talk about recovery because it's an embarrassment to them. I think a lot of people don't even know what addiction is. Some people think, you know, depending on you know, what that word implies different things to different people. You know, some people think addiction is, oh, you're a junkie and you're shooting up needles. Some people think addiction is. Addiction, a, right there. That's an addiction right there, right? I mean, I've got, I've got, I've got one, right? I, I, I stopped smoking a long time ago. I chew Nicorette gum and I am physically and I would say emotionally addicted to getting that fix of nicotine. And I know I am, period. And, co and coffee, the same thing, right? I mean, I, I don't know how many jugs of this stuff that I drink. The day, it's unacceptable. Yeah. yeah, I mean, workaholic, Joe talks about workaholism is the acceptable addiction. Alcoholism is the hidden addiction a lot of the time, right? Sugar kills more people than anything else. Yeah. But it's completely acceptable. There's some restaurants, we'll call them restaurants. <laughs> They're not really restaurants. They're junk food places. And it kills more people than anybody else. Because it doesn't kill you in three days. Yeah. It's okay. I did a, I did a program uh, three years ago on, and it was a five-night program on addiction. And, and it was really eye-opening to me because people misperceive what addiction is. They think it's physical or they think it's emotional. And... You know, the best definition that I got from, you know, of any substance was, you know, is it having a negative impact on one of the five major things in your life, on your family, on your relationship, on your job, um, on your health, um, you know, physically, you know, so when you look at, you know, is there a negative impact on one of these major things going on in your life? And if the answer is yes, then it's a problem with some sort of abuse of a substance. And if you can just come to terms with that is, is it affecting my family? Is it affecting my health? Is it affecting my finances, my work, my relationships? If it's one or more of those things, it's, it's having a negative consequence, then it's something that you need to deal with and just own it that way. I and mean, I think if you change the definition of, are one of those major aspects of your life having a negative impact because of what you're doing with whatever that substance is, then you can change the conversation of addiction is this definition versus addiction is I'm you I'm doing something that is having a negative impact on a major aspect of my life and I need to deal with it right addiction means it doesn't happen to me yet that's what addiction is. it hasn't happened to me yet so it doesn't exist addiction right. is not real until it happens to you and to somebody that you love so not, cancer is not real until some of your family gets it Right. So I've seen a lot of cancer marches, a lot of cancer this, a lot of cancer that. My nephew got sick with cancer when he was 17, but he beat it. But I was locked up, so I wasn't there. Then my favorite sister got sick, and she, boom, that hit me right in the heart. Then my grandmother got sick, boom, hit me again. So now I'm, I'm, I'm aware. Yeah. Aware. Criminal justice, I was talking to a lady yesterday. And black lady, school teacher, lived her life, went to college, doing great. And she had a situation where she got arrested arguing with her ex-husband. And she said some stuff she shouldn't have said. They arrested her. She went to jail. She said, oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know it was like that. Nobody listened to me. Nobody cared. Nobody, all this stuff. Now she had her epiphany moment of the criminal justice system is upside down. It's, un, it's unforgiving. And yeah. so now she's on a quest of, oh, my God, we need to fix this. Until it happens to you, huh? 
I think nope. you got to have the conversations, right? I think everyone's got to be open to have this kind of a conversation and do it a thousand times to make that awareness. And then, and then pick your lane and what you're gonna what you're gonna get involved in. We're not gonna solve everything today. That's not the goal of this conversation. When I say I want to be the czar of the prison system, I'm saying, hey, put me in this lane. I don't want to be the czar of education. I don't mean the czar of drug uses. I don't want to be the czar. I want to be the czar of the prison system. So whoever out there is in that space says, hey, I can line up with that guy. So if that's your thing, even if your thing is the education component, oh, they have education in prison, they have therapy in prison, whatever. Become aware, then raise your hand and say, know something? I'm ready to step in. What can people do to support you? Raise your hand, become aware. I mean, if you buy my book, great. You're saying, I don't have anything that I'm selling of sorts. If you want to hire me to give a speech, cool. I mean, that's not my goal in life. My goal in life, if you want to support Andre Norman, reach out and tell me how I can help you make your awareness come to reality. You're saying, if you call me and say, hey, Dre, I got a speech for you to come over here, to come over there. My question is going to be not where is it and how much. It's are we going to make a difference? Are we going to make an impact? Don't call me for a speech. Don't call me, hey, Dre, I'm going to give you $10,000. No, answer is no. My question is, are we going to create an impact? Are we going to make a difference? Because if we're not trying to make a difference, then no. So what I do with all my speeches, if you say, hey, Dre, I'm going to hire you to come to Canada and give this speech on Friday. I'm going to say to you, if I come on Friday, but we need to come in on Tuesday or Wednesday and do three days of volunteer work in the community in the native, native populations and the schools and the white schools, black schools, whatever you got, let's go make an impact in the city and in the region. Then we'll give the paid speech on Friday. If you're not trying to make an impact in the community, don't call me. Don't call awesome. me. Who you are, what you're talking about. Dial somebody else's number. There's a thousand speakers that'll take your check. If you don't want to make an impact of some kind in your city, then I'm not the guy to hire. There's somebody else. There's a different type of peanut butter you can buy. So. That's awesome. I love I love that you do that. I love that you when you when you parachute in, you want to make an impact in that community. And I think that part makes makes your message, your ambassadorship of hope so much more valuable, right? You can sit down and have conversations. It can be conversations at the local restaurant with five of your friends. We can go to schools, we can go to homeless shelters, we can go to churches. There's a thousand things that we can do that we can get on the phone and brainstorm where can we make a difference. But if the, if the end of the whole thing is this Henri comes, gives a speech, gets a check and goes home, no. So if you want to support me, let's have a conversation about creating impact. And I will have that conversation with you time and time again. Awesome. Now you take donations to your Academy of Hope for books and, and that sort of thing as well, do you not? Oh yeah, I mean, I'll send you the, <laughs> I forgot, I wasn't even thinking. I'll send you the link to the donation page and um, if people want to donate, that's wonderful. I'm saying um, we don't solicit; we do good work, and the work speaks for itself. How do uh, how do people how do people get a hold of you? How do you get a hold of me? Um, you can go to my website, AndreNorman.com, Instagram at Andre Norman, Facebook, Andre Norman, Twitter, Andre Norman, and LinkedIn is Andre Norman. So, pretty common theme. <laughs> I went, I went to public school. I try to keep it really, really simple. I, well, you know, don't play it down, you know, from public school and you're now a fellow uh, at Harvard, fellowship at Harvard. So that's a, it's a really cool journey. So inspired by what you do, man. And uh, 
can't wait to try to figure out how I can help in some way. You're already helping, man. We're getting on and telling people that we can have these conversations. Nobody's blunted and beaded. Nobody feels shamed or embarrassed. And we can have these conversations. We're going to keep having these conversations. We want to encourage other people to have these conversations so we can heal. If we never heal the trauma, then we'll just always forever go forward. Hey, there's two white guys and black guys having a legitimate conversation about some things of merit. We didn't skip over anything. And okay, cool. Nobody's mad. Nobody's hurt. Nobody's bleeding. Nobody's crying. Maybe I can have a conversation like that. We've given a template on having a conversation. So if you're not sure how to do it, watch this video and say, oh, they can do it. I can do it. So hopefully we've encouraged other people to have the conversation. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening to this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. If you'd like to learn more or get in touch with either Don or Andre, then you can always do so at any time at the links in the description of this episode. Make sure you leave a five-star rating. It truly does help us out a lot. And be sure to subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening again, and we will see you next time on the Amplifier Podcast.